Hey there, my name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm lead pastor of Ridgeline Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks for checking out our podcast. Our goal is to help as many people as possible meet and mature in the Jesus of the Bible. For more information about our ministry, visit our website at ridgeline.church. If you enjoy the podcast, consider subscribing on the platform of your choice. Thanks again for listening, and I pray God's Spirit uses this message to revive you in a fresh way. One thing that I have loved about studying this letter of 1 Peter is seeing over and over again just how much we share in common with Peter's original readers. Like even though we are separated by a couple thousand years and we live in a very different culture, I would argue that at the core, we are still more alike and our situations are actually more similar than they are not. And one of the many things that I've seen that we share in common is the challenge of trying to follow Jesus in the midst of increasingly complex cultural change. The world and the cultures that prize it are never static, meaning they are always changing. And that can make life very, very complex. And the problem with complexity is that complexity often causes confusion and With confusion comes paralysis. And by that, I mean, when we are uncertain how to proceed due to that confusion, we are prone to freeze. Now, our family is feeling this temptation to freeze in the face of complexity right now. The older that our kids get, the more aware we are of the lack of space that we have in the townhome that we purchased when we first moved to Salt Lake City. And so as a result, we're faced right now with the very complex decision of whether or not to begin to look for and to buy a new house. Now, think about this decision with me for a second. On the one hand, uh, as I said, we know we need more space as our kids grow. Another factor that leads us to want to look for something new is that townhomes in our particular townhome community, they are selling like crazy right now. And so we stand to make a good chunk of money on it if we sell it sooner rather than later. So when you hear those factors, it sounds like a no brainer, right? Like you're probably thinking like, those sound great. Excuse me, go find a new house. But on the other hand, we're really comfortable right now. And we hate moving. We are so, you've probably moved at some point in your life, you know, it is just the worst. Furthermore, interest rates are great right now. So we could just refinance and we could save a ton of money month to month on our current townhome. Further complicating the decision is the fact that it's super expensive to buy anything right now. So this decision for us is complex, which makes it confusing. And guess what we want to do in light of the confusion? Nothing. We want to freeze up. We want to bury our heads in the snow and we want to do absolutely nothing. But the problem with that is, and I really want you to hear this this morning, there is no progress in paralysis. And that same simple principle holds true as you and I seek to walk with Jesus together. Remember, we are by definition called to follow him. That was the simple invitation that Jesus posed to his original disciples 2,000 years ago, and it's the same simple invitation that he poses to you and me today. But to follow him implies movement and motion. And so what does it look like to follow Jesus when life feels 
so uncertain, which it does for us right now. Like when our, when our future and even our present circumstances feel complex and confusing, what do we do when the world around us is just always changing and many of the ways in which, it, which it's changing make it increasingly difficult for us to follow Jesus? Well, here's what Peter's counsel a couple thousand years ago was and uh, is still very timely counsel for you and I today. So maybe launch the uh, notes app on your phone or grab something to write on, something to write with if you wanna take notes this morning. But here's our big idea that comes out of these verses that we're gonna study. Peter would say this to us, stick close to Christ when circumstances cause uncertainty. Can you write that down real quick? Such a good reminder for us, stick close to Christ when circumstances cause uncertainty. Now, Peter is going to show us exactly how to do that in our verses this morning. And so open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you uh, are new to the scriptures and don't know your way around, there's a table of contents right in the front. You can find where 1 Peter is in your Bible. It's right toward the back. We're going to look at the first 11 verses this morning as we talk about following Christ in uncertain times. Now, Peter is going to give us two ways to stick close to Christ in uncertainty. And these verses are just packed with practical instruction for sticking close to Jesus. And so first up is this. Number one, write this down, live out Christ's victory. Number one is live out Christ's victory. Now listen to these first six verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. Verse two, in order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desire, God's will. For there has already been enough time spent in doing what the Gentiles choose to do, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you don't join them in the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. All right. So much of this little letter is Peter helping hurting Christians try to make sense of suffering in their lives. Remember, Peter's original readers were being pressed further and further to the margins of their culture because of their allegiance to Jesus. See, historically speaking, receiving the invitation to follow Jesus has always held out the very real possibility of increased rejection by culture at large. The way of Jesus and the way of the world are often at odds with one another. Now, professing Christians in the United States have held a rare position of privilege, especially through the better part of the 20th century. The modern political phenomenon of the religious right has at times put professing Christians in a position of power and influence. And on the surface, that sounds really great, doesn't it? But I, I see at least two problems with this privilege that we have had. The first is history shows us that Christianity has been severely polluted every single time it has been blended with political power. Every time through history, read church history, you will see every single time 
that Christianity has been blended with political power. It has been severely polluted. And one reason that the Christian church in America is in such disarray is because of this blending. Christians have to find a way to be civically engaged without becoming drunk on political power. Now, a second problem with this privilege of Christian prominence in culture is that we panic when it fades. One reason that so many Christians are losing their minds right now is they have forgotten that the way of Jesus often demands living on the fringe of culture rather than at the center of it. And so there may be rare seasons in which Christians make up a majority of the culture, but that has not been normative historically. And the good news is Peter shows us that we don't have to be at the center of culture in order to be healthy. Our souls can flourish on the fringe. And these verses are another reminder from Peter as to how that happens. So Peter helps us make sense of suffering by reminding us of the normative nature of it in the Christian life. Like here again in verse one, notice that Peter says, Christ suffered in the flesh. Suffering is not unique to you and me. We know that, right? Like Jesus suffered too. Furthermore, the fact that Jesus suffered during his earthly ministry has implications for you and I. Specifically, Peter says that we should arm ourselves with the same perspective. Now, this is Peter borrowing military language. The Christian life is many things, one of which is a spiritual war. Our thinking, our minds are both the battlefield and one of the most powerful weapons that we wield on it. And the understanding or the perspective that Peter calls us to arm ourselves with is one of, remember, being finished with sin, he says, because Christ has defeated it. Now, to be finished with sin or done with it has a lot more to do with our desires than it does with some sort of sinless perfection that we can attain with enough hard work in our lives. So don't panic reading this thinking, well, I'm certainly not finished with sin. Like I still fail God on the regular. I know that. God knows that. Peter knew that. Everyone knows that. Everyone does. And that's not really Peter's point. The point is when the spirit of God awakens a heart to faith in Jesus, new desires invade the old. It's one of the most amazing things about new birth in Jesus New desire invades the old. And so more and more, our desire as we walk with Jesus is to honor and to obey God so that we would do nothing to hinder our experience of intimacy and communion with him. And so more and more, as we walk with God, we want his will. Our desires change. And so to just a far lesser degree, I want you to just think about the way that your desires have changed as you have matured and gotten older in life. For instance, when I, when I was young, I just wanted to play sports, watch movies, date girls, and eat fast food. Like I literally just described my entire high school experience. But as I got older, my desires began to change. More and more, I wanted to serve and know Jesus. More and more, I wanted to be a husband and a dad. More and more, I wanted to work hard and do something meaningful with the life that God had given me. As I matured, as I got older, my desires changed. And Peter is calling us to live into these new desires that God gives to us when he awakens our hearts to faith and to reject the old desires. 
And so Peter here writes to some of the particular pagan vices that would have been normative in their culture and that they once desired themselves. Things like unrestrained behavior, lustful desires resulting in drunkenness, orgies, and sexual promiscuity, and lawless worship of idols. All of this was normal in their culture and at one time had been a part of their very own lives. And so Peter says, man, you guys gave enough time to all that. It's time for you to pursue your new desire for God's will, even even when it comes as a shock to the surrounding culture and forces you to the fringes of it. And I think we would be remiss to just rush past Peter's choice of motivation here. Look again at verse five. Peter says, they will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Think about that for a second. This is very sobering. But one reason that we should be willing to stand with Christ no matter what it costs us is because those who don't are going to give an account and be judged by Jesus himself. Now, I know that judgment is not a particularly popular topic, but that does not mean that it's not an important one. And while Many reject this idea of judgment as harsh or archaic. The truth is, we should long for Jesus to judge. Because think about it, man. Without judgment, there is no justice. If evil and darkness are given a free pass, then God would not be good. And we would be completely without hope. See, the truth is, I think we do long for judgment against all evil except our own. But the reality is, we are all going to give an account. And if we receive the free gift of grace that is held out to us in the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, then Jesus' payment for sin is ours. But if we reject that gift, we are going to be held accountable for it. And so this call to pursue God's will is just as much about running after the values of Jesus' kingdom as it is about rejecting these particular vices that Peter lists right here. Like clearly, can I just tell you, I hope you know this, but clearly if you're going to orgies and blacking out drunk, like for sure stop that, right? But as followers of Jesus, we We also abstain from many values that are culturally normative in favor of pursuing God's values. So we are not meant to bow to to politics as the source of our hope. We're not meant to find our deepest meaning and value in things like success and money. Instead, we lean into our new desires for God's will in all things. If we are going to stick close to Christ when circumstances are uncertain, we have to live out Christ's victory. That's Peter's first piece of counsel to us, but here is his second. Number two is this, write this down, live vertically and horizontally. Live vertically and horizontally. Look with me at verse seven. Peter goes on and he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, circle those two words. We're going to come back to that for sure. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. 
Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. All right, so when Peter says in verse seven, the end of all things is near, I think we need to talk about that for a second because he wrote this a couple thousand years ago. He said, the end of all things is near and Jesus hasn't come back yet. So was Peter wrong or confused or what's happening here? Well, here, here's what was happening uh, in his writing. He is speaking in reference to order of events more than time. Meaning after Jesus resurrection and ascension, the only great Jesus event that we wait for now is his return and recreating work. And so when Jesus returns, time will cease, judgment will begin as we've seen, recreation will take place and eternity will start. And because this final event is near in the sense that it is next, we're to commit to both vertical and horizontal living. We are to live for God and with God, and we are to live for and with other people. And so let's talk about this vertical component just for a second, meaning our relationship with God. As we wait in seasons of uncertainty, Peter says that we are to be alert and sober-minded. And this means that we are to be mindful and aware of what is taking place. We're to pay attention. We are to be present. We're not to be so busy and running so hard that we forget what it is that God's up to. And the purpose, Peter says, of this alertness and sober-mindedness is actually prayer. We pray through the lens of the person, the presence, the power, and the plan of God. Now, let me break those down for us. We are to pray conscious of the person of God, knowing he's always good. We pray mindful of the presence of God because he is with us. We pray confident in the power of God because he's in control. We pray surrendered to the plan of God, believing that he will redeem all things for our good and his glory. And while I don't have time this morning to do a super deep dive on prayer. Can I just encourage you with one thing I was thinking about this week that I think might help someone who's watching this morning? The more relational and less transactional you make prayer, the more fulfilling and fruitful you're going to find it. See, we are prone to make prayer this long list of everything that we want or we need God to do. And let me be clear, talking to God about our needs and taking our desires to him is certainly not bad. In fact, it is clearly biblical, but no relationship can thrive when all it consists of is one person telling the other person everything they want them to do, right? Like there's no relationship in your life that if the sum of all of your communication with the person is everything you need them to do for you, that relationship's not gonna thrive. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. And so talk to God this week about how you're feeling and what you're feeling. Talk to him about what causes you unrest. Talk to him about what's causing you to be worried right now or making you anxious. What are you fearful about? What makes you angry right now? What sadness are you carrying? Talk to God about what is on your heart and your mind. 
Keeping close to Christ means living vertically in very real relationship with Jesus. And so talk to him about all of your life, not just what you want him to do. Now, in addition to living vertically in relationship with God, we also keep close to Christ by living horizontally, meaning with and for other people. And notice that Peter holds up love, hospitality, and service as marks of this horizontal life. And so let's talk about what it means to live horizontally. First, in verse 8, Peter says, Above all, maintain constant love for one another. I just think it is massively, massively significant that Peter prioritizes love above everything else that he's called us to. I mean, if you've been following along through this series. Just think about all of the imperatives that fill this letter. Peter has instructed us on so many fronts, but he holds up love as paramount. And I just want to continue to ring the bell that biblical love is far more about the way we treat one another than it is about the way we say we feel about one another. And so to tell someone that you love them is good and necessary. For sure, do that. But if that love isn't displayed in action, the claim is empty. First Peter, first John chapter 4, verse 18 says, Let us not love in word or speech, meaning do not let us love in word or speech only, but in action and truth, John writes. Now, Peter here tells us that love in action looks like forgiving one another when we hurt, offend, or sin against one another. Love, he quotes Proverbs here, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Now, here is one critical way that we need to love one another right now, right? Just to get super practical. I want to encourage you to keep front of mind how hard this year has been on everyone in your life, including you. Like you, you may not, maybe you're one of the few that doesn't feel the weight of it yet, but I'm telling you this, lot, this year has taken a toll on you, whether you realize it or not, and it has taken a significant emotional toll on every single person in your life. And so no one that I know is looking back on 2020 as like the greatest year of their life. It has been stressful. It has been infuriating. It has been massively disappointing. It has been heartbreaking and terrifying at times. And so as a result, many of us are walking around like like exposed electrical lines. If you've ever changed a light switch or a power outlet, then you know how precarious it can be when you remove that face and the wires are exposed, especially if you've made the mistake that I've made before, which is you have forgotten to turn off the power. That's those wires that are exposed. That's a very quick way to a powerful shock, let me tell you from experience. And many of us are walking around right now like exposed wires and the power has not been turned off. Many of us are on edge right now, which means two things. First, we need to be mindful of that personally, that we are like an exposed wire, that we might be on edge, that we are carrying a lot of hurt and stress and anxiety, some of which we are aware of, some of which we're not, but we are walking around with that. We need to be mindful of that and we need to be loving by not taking that out on the people in our lives. Talk to God about that. And on the other end, when people do snap at us, when people do hurt us, we need to love by being quick to forgive. Living horizontally means loving one another well. 
But that's not all. Peter also calls us to the horizontal ministry of hospitality. Now, this means opening our lives and when appropriate, our homes to people in need that God places in our path. Now, obviously, the immediate application of hospitality in our particular cultural moment is complicated by the pandemic, right? Like, it's not a great time to have people outside of your immediate family to come into your home. But that does not mean that we cannot be alert to those who need our care and compassion right now. I mean, there is certainly no shortage of hurt and hardship, amen? And so I just wonder what it would look like to welcome that hurt and hardship into our lives. So by that, I mean, like, rather than avoid the difficulty that others are experiencing, which we do sometimes, right? Like sometimes you see someone maybe at work or at school or in the neighborhood or maybe even in your own family, and you're like, how you doing? And they just respond in a way where it's clear, like they are not doing great. And, and rather than engage in that and rather than welcome that in, we sort of tiptoe around it, hoping they don't make eye contact with, it, with us and they don't want to talk about it. But what if we did the opposite of that? What if we chose to enter into it? One thing that we can do is we can be hospitable to the hurt of others right now by welcoming it. Text message, phone calls, letters, cards, emails, FaceTime, Zoom, all of those can be used to show genuine empathy to those in need. And so maybe, maybe that's what hospitality has to look like right now. Just because it may look different doesn't mean that it shouldn't have a place. Now, the last example of horizontal living that Peter gives is serving one another with the gifts that God has given us. So God in his grace has given every one of his followers unique gifts that are meant to serve the church. Now, Peter here does not give us a long list of individual gifts. Other writers in the New Testament do give us some of that. But what Peter does here is he just divides spiritual gifts broadly into two categories. He divides them into the categories of speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, the respective gifts that God has given Pastor Tyler and myself, if you know us both, they're, they're a great example of these two equal but distinct gift types. God has wired me to talk and Tyler to work. So a huge sum of my time during the week is spent using words to serve our church. Preaching, teaching, counseling, encouraging, writing. The majority of my service is word-focused. Now, Tyler, on the other hand, he serves our church by working tirelessly, often behind the scenes, to make sure people can easily get connected, be cared for, and experience community. And so you'll, you'll see our, it's almost comical, you'll see our respective bents every time someone has a crisis in our church. More often than not, I talk to them and Tyler makes sure they have food. God's given us distinct gifts. And so that's not to say that he never uses or serves with words and that I never serve in the more system-oriented capacities, but God has uniquely wired us to serve the church in very different ways. And so in the exact same way, God has given you gifts. So maybe you encourage and you build others up with your words. Maybe that just feels like, and that kind of comes naturally to me. I really enjoy that. That might be a spiritual gift that God's given you. Maybe you're a safe place for people to seek counsel and support. If any of that's true of you, use those words to bless people intentionally 
strategically, like be awake, be aware of what's happening around you and in life. Because as Peter has says, as has said, if anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words, as you are encouraging, as you are counseling, as you are engaging and using your words to bless and to build up, you are speaking God's words into people. So use those gifts. And, and maybe you're wired in the other way. Maybe you're more oriented toward doing things for people, which is amazing. Care for kids, help with home projects, cook for people, perform acts of generosity, do what God has equipped you to do in service to others. Because we are most fruitful as a church when we all use our respective gifts to serve one another. And again, I think that this is such a great way for us to finish this final push of the pandemic. Let's serve one another in any and every creative way that God would put before us. We have to stick close to Christ when circumstances cause uncertainty. Sticking close to Christ means living out Christ's victory and living vertically and horizontally. So will we do that this week? Will you commit to living vertically? Will you take time, some specific time each day, and then whenever you feel led to throughout the day to actually talk to God about your whole life this week. Not just running the list of everything you want or need God to do, but really sharing your heart and your mind with him. If you're stressed, talk to him. If you're anxious, talk to him. If you're angry, talk to him. If you're overwhelmed, talk to him. That's prayer. It's raw, it's honest, it's genuine. It's not just a to-do list for him. So will you live vertically with him this week? And then secondly, will we commit to living horizontally by practicing love, hospitality, and service? Will you be mindful of your treatment of people? Love them by not exploding on them, even if you're caring a lot right now. And if you experience someone lashing out at you or snapping at you, will you be quick to forgive? Will you practice hospitality, welcoming the hurt of others rather than trying to rush past it or avoid it? And will we practice service with the gifts that God has given us. Let's pray together and let's ask that Jesus would help us stick close to him. Will you bow your head with me? Jesus, we need your help with this. You have called us to follow you. And so we want you to lead and we want to follow. We want to move at your pace. We want to love what you love. We want to see what you see. We want to care about what you care about. We want to value what you value. And all of that demands that you continue the work of changing our hearts and changing our desires. And so, Lord, if there's anyone watching this morning or listening who doesn't know you, who has not experienced this new birth that we've talked about, the gift of these new desires that come through grace as you awaken hearts to faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray if anyone is not following Jesus and wants to, awaken their heart to faith this morning, right now, wherever they are. And Jesus, I pray that you would love them, lead them, and show them the grace that they need and that you gave your life to provide them with. And for the rest of us, Lord, would you help us to live out your victory, to live in light of it, to live into it, that we would continue to put off our old desires and to lean into the new ones that you have given us. 
Would you help us to live vertically and help us to pray and to talk to you this week about what's really going on in our lives? All of it, not just the list. Help us to live horizontally, Lord, to love and to be hospitable and to serve the people in our life. We need your help in all of this. We thank you for this Christmas season. We thank you for Advent that we can remember this morning the hope that we have in you, the peace that comes in your presence with us. Would you help us to live with and to walk in that this week? We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.